0: Welcome to St. Mark's N4, a church in the heart of Finsbury Park. For more information, visit our website. We can also be found on social media too. We look forward to seeing you at one of our services really soon. Good morning. It's uh, great to see you here. And uh, we're continuing our... Uh, theme, looking at the creed, and uh, we're taking it in really big chunks. Actually, we could uh, spend a lot lot longer on looking at each individual section. Uh, But today, we move on to, we believe, in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. I wonder if we can have the Slido up. Um, if you've got your phones, do get them out and um, uh, take a shot at that uh, barcode, uh, QR code. And uh, in a moment, we'd we'll love to go on to the next question, but if you, if you take a shot of that and, uh, or type in. And uh, the question is, I know, sorry it's so small, we've tried to find ways of making it bigger. Uh, but I'd love your thoughts on this. What must... We do to do the work God requires. What must we do to do the work God requires? I'd love to have your thoughts on that. Uh, while uh, you're sort of thinking and typing and putting in something, uh, one of my favourite carols is "O Come, All You Faithful." The second verse, I think, takes on uh, so much of what we say in the creed. Um, God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created. O come, let us adore him. Great, I, I don't know if you can see some of those that are coming up there. Believe in the one he has sent, give your life to him, be kind, submission, Uh, we must believe solely, be compassionate, pray. Goodness, there's lots of things coming up. What was it that Jesus said when he was asked that question? What did Jesus say to the disciples when he was asked the question, what must we do to do the work God requires? If you look in John's Gospel in chapter 6, the disciples asked Jesus that question and Jesus response is very simple he said the work of God is this to believe in the one he sent and I think actually quite often what we do is we complicate things and we begin to think actually maybe we have to do works maybe we have to spend time praying Maybe we have to live good lives. But Jesus' response to the disciples when they asked that question was to believe in the one whom God had sent. Why is that so important? Why is it so important for us to think through what we believe? And I think it is important because when asked that question about what works do we need to do in order to do the works that God requires? Jesus' response being, believe in the one who was sent. Believe in me, he was saying. See, I think that what we believe affects how we live. And every area of our life, it affects the choices that we make. It affects the decisions. But it also affects the actions that we will take. This might be slightly controversial, and it's not meant to be. It's meant to show an example. We have just gone through and continue to live in a time of this pandemic. And what you believe about the effectiveness of the vaccine will determine what you do. And we've seen that so clearly. So I'm not judging anybody and anybody's belief. What I'm saying is when you look at the figures and when you understand what's going on, those who believe that the vaccine was the best thing that we should do and its effectiveness and efficacy to actually prevent the spread of the coronavirus would sign up and go and get their jabs as soon as it was made available. On the other hand, if you believe that it's not effective, and, okay, it might do some good, or actually it might do some harm, then you're much less likely to go and get it, and you're much less likely to actually try to encourage other people to get it. Or maybe you're the sort of person who believes that it's all a big conspiracy, and that actually, uh, when you're injected, they're injecting a control drug or a chip uh, that will enable the government to control you, in which case not only would you not promote it, but you'd actually stand against people having it. See, what you believe affects how you live and what you do. And therefore, I think Jesus said, when asked that question, that the work that God requires is for us to believe in the one he has sent. And as a church... A worldwide church, we affirm our belief in Jesus Christ and in who he is when we affirm the creed. You might say, so it's ridiculous for us today to talk about believing in Jesus, to have that sort of sermon in church. A sermon on, I believe in Jesus Christ, when actually most of what we do here focuses on Jesus. But I think it's worth going through actually, to remind ourselves to take a fresh look at what actually we do believe about Jesus, who Jesus is, about his claims, his direct claims and his indirect claims, and what the Bible says about who Jesus is. So what did Jesus say about himself? I think if you begin to look through the, the Gospels, particularly what you'll see is that there were several what I would call indirect claims and what other theologians would call indirect claims. Jesus, on some occasions, you might recall, had people brought to him. And there's the one occasion that sticks very clearly in my mind when the guy is brought to Jesus and lowered through the roof and laid in front of him. And Jesus just doesn't say, get up and walk. He says, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees immediately mumble, "It's only God that can forgive sins." And Jesus, in that way, is already saying that He is divine. He said that He would come and judge the world. And in that the environment in which He lived, in that culture, it was only God who would judge the world. And again, Jesus, in that indirect way, is saying, "I am divine." But then you see often in the Gospels, too, that there's Jesus' direct claims. In fact, at Jesus' trial, he was asked if he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And his response was simple. I am. In John's Gospel, he says that I and the Father are one. And at one point, when it comes to Jesus, people are saying that they're going to kill him because he claims to be the son of God. If we truly believe that, that Jesus is truly divine, the all-powerful, then it must change the way that we live. It must change our choices, change our actions, what we do, change our lifestyle when we believe that he is truly and fully divine. But also, he is fully human. That's what the incarnation is all about. It's at the heart of our Christian faith that Jesus is not only fully divine, but fully human. It's the doctrine of what we call the incarnation Grant Osborne, a theologian, defines it like this. Incarnation literally in flesh. Theologically, the doctrine that Jesus of Nazareth was fully God, but took on flesh and became the divine God-man. Fully God and fully human. That is who Jesus is. Fully God, yet fully man. I was reflecting on that in a staff meeting earlier this week, and I don't know if you know the hymn. Actually, I looked in our database here and it's not in there, so I wonder if you know it. But it's meekness and majesty, manhood and deity, in perfect harmony, the man who is God, Lord of eternity, dwells in humility, and kneels in humility. And washes our feet. Oh, what a mystery. Meekness and majesty. Bow down and worship. For this is our God. Jesus. Fully human. But fully divine. And through history, there has been arguments about that. And... Really, the Nicene Creed that we have been looking at was formed and stated in order to maintain that orthodox belief and to combat some of the heresy that was around at that time. And there are three heresies that I just briefly want to touch on. The first one was docetism that Jesus Christ was fully divine, but actually he never really became man and only was ghost-like, an apparition in human form on the earth, like a phantom, that he never really took on human flesh. The second one is almost the opposite to that, which is Ebionitism, which is that Jesus was fully human, came from a human birth, human conception, but at his baptism was anointed with God's Holy Spirit and sort of had a divine revelation over him and on him, but remained fully human. And then there's the third view, uh, more famously perhaps by Arius, Arianism, that Jesus was seen as coming from God and being created by God, but not as human beings, in a level above that, actually more like an angel or even above angels. He was a created creature of God, but he was not human. So McGrath sums it up like this. He says, in the view of Arius, the Son is a creature who, like other creatures, derives from the will of God. The term son is thus a metaphor to underscore the rank among other creatures, that first position. The status of the son is a consequence of the will of God and not of the son himself. So there was this view too of Arianism where Jesus was not fully God but not fully human either, created above all other creatures, not God but not man. And the creed was written for our benefit to understand and to reinforce that Jesus is fully divine and has always existed. There has never been a time when Jesus didn't exist. But in his grace and infinite mercy, he became flesh for us through the incarnation, through the virgin birth. And became flesh for us. John's gospel sums that up, doesn't it? In so many ways. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him nothing has been made that has been made. And then lower on in that chapter it says, And the word became flesh. And lived among us. It's this mystery. That God. Who loved you and me so much. In the form of his son was prepared to become human. There was never a time when Jesus didn't exist. Even though. He took on flesh and was born as a human being. Jesus has always existed from eternity and all of eternity. The writer to the Hebrews sums it up in this way Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. And free those whose lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became flesh for you and me. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we understand that Jesus wasn't just human, that was anointed by God? Why is it so important that we believe that Jesus was not divine and just appeared as an apparition and didn't really take on human flesh? Or that he was not created but has always existed? Why is it so important? I think it comes down to a few things. And one is this. Is it atonement or adjustment atonement or adjustment see Jesus if he was created and not fully God then he can only make an adjustment to our situation we can never be cleansed from sin we can never have a relationship restored with Jesus God actually remains remote. Out of reach, out of our touch. Having nothing to do with anything that's tainted. But if God himself came in flesh, he came to rescue us through his own action and made it possible for us to be redeemed. For sin to be atoned for. It's no longer an adjustment, it's complete salvation. And through that, he enables us to be what we were created to be. Not just in the future, but starting here and now. For us today, to know God's healing power in our lives. To know the power of his spirit. To be transformed through his grace. Paul writing in Corinthians says that it was God himself reconciling the world to himself through Christ Jesus. When we understand that Jesus is fully God but fully human, then we know that he has made for us on the cross a full, sufficient and perfect satisfaction oblation and I can't remember the other words from the Eucharistic prayer, but he has made that perfect sacrifice for us to be fully atoned for. And then secondly, is it revelation or remote? If Jesus was not God, then God remains remote. He is unknowable. But if Jesus is fully God... Revealed to us in human flesh. Jesus says, if you look at me, you can see the Father. If you know me, you know the Father. And what Jesus is saying here, I think, is that today you can know a personal relationship with the one who created the universe, who created you. You can know the love of the Father, the love of the Son, and the love of the Holy Spirit. We can have that personal relationship with the God who loved you, who gave himself for you. We can experience his power. We can experience his presence. We can experience his restona- restoration. And do you know What? <laughs> We can expect him to be true to his word. So as you begin to read the Bible and see the promises that Jesus made, we can take them and hold them for ourselves because he is God who cannot lie. What we believe affects our decisions, affects the way we live and our actions. I believe in Jesus Christ the only Son of God eternally begotten of the Father God from God light from light true God from true God begotten not made of one being with the Father. That's the Jesus who we worship. That's the Jesus who went to the cross to die for us. That's the Jesus who forgives and cleanses us. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Who do you believe in? Where is your faith and trust. How does knowing Jesus and believing in him affect the way that you live and the choices that you make? I hope with me you will be able to truly say I believe in Jesus Christ the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, of one being with the Father. May we pray.